0: Today we get to continue our series uh, for this winter in which we're thinking about the practice of listening and what listening looks like as a spiritual practice. Today uh, we have a wonderful text in which to explore this theme as we listen to Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. We're a little more familiar as as a church uh, with Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But Luke's version, uh, Jesus is on a plane, on a level place with the crowd and the disciples and um, has something wonderful and powerful to tell us today. So friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the sixth chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 17th verse. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. So, since it's the Sunday of the big game, I figured I might be able to get away with a football reference. The first, uh, first NFL game I ever went to was in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium Uh, Indy was the city of my first call as an ordained pastor, and Marie and I were recently out of school, so needless to say, we got really, really cheap tickets to a preseason game on StubHub. But it was a very important game because the, the Colts were playing my team, the Green Bay Packers, and even in the nosebleed seats, we had a pretty decent view. The stadium was, was uh, very new and, and considered very state-of-the-art at the time, so we had a great, great experience. So since it was a preseason game, and for you non-sports folks, read that as not important, the crowd started to thin at about halftime, and more and more throughout the second half. Eventually, the crowd dwindled enough where Marie and I felt comfortable, or at least brave enough, to go down close to the field, and we were able to get all the way down to the field level for the final minutes of the game. Our experience changed dramatically as we got closer to the field. As we were on the same level, or close at least, to the players and the coaches, we could watch all the action up close and personal, we could hear all the action up close. While the whole thing was a lot of fun, this change in proximity and level of closeness to what was going on made all of the difference. This kind of change in proximity is the difference maker in our lesson this morning, friends. Jesus in in Luke's gospel is just appointed as 12 disciples soon later to be called apostles on a mountaintop. Now he comes down from the mountain with his twelve, to find a large crowd gathering together. Instead of using the auditory advantage that a mountain would give you for teaching and for speaking, he decides to go down on a level place. In one sense, this means he literally goes down to the level of the people who who were there, the crowd that was with him. So you can take that literally, but you can also take it metaphorically. Jesus decides to speak in a level way with the crowd. He levels with them. He tells it to them straight. You might compare this to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, which Matthew and Luke are using the same sources to to, uh, formulate their, their comparative sermons from Jesus here. Matthew says, to kick it off, blessed are the poor in spirit, Luke's Jesus simply says, Blessed are the poor. There's less nuance. It's simple. It's straightforward. And this kind of level speaking, I think, makes a very profound impact. Now, what's the overall message of this leveled, straight talk sermon of Jesus? He seeks to convey to this crowd what it looks like and how to live in God's kingdom a reality that turns the world and everything we know upside down and twists it inside out. And he begins this teaching with a series of blessings, just like Matthew. But as you noticed, and it stands out when you hear it, Luke also very notably adds woes. At first, I think we really need to reframe what we mean by blessing and woe as their biblical understanding seems worlds apart from how we think about these things today. We tend to think of blessing today in a sense that God has given us something great. It's the social media hashtag blessed trend, which can honestly turn into a bit of a humble brag. The word here Jesus uses in Matthew and Luke in Greek is makarios. It simply means happy. Satisfied, content, it's the same corresponding word in Psalm 1, happy are those. On the other hand, we tend to think of woe as a curse, the opposite of blessing, but the word Jesus uses here is "uai," and for you grammar nerds, it's an interjection, simply meaning watch out, danger, warning. Instead of woe, W-O-E, I think it's better understood as woe, W-O-A-H. This makes sense as we see Jesus call the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the reviled, blessed. These aren't things you would wish on anyone. They're not blessed in our hashtag blessed understanding of the word. Instead, these folks are blessed in that they have God's special care and God's special attention. It's a reminder, friends, that when it feels like everything is going against you, God is there with you in the thick of it. The crowd gathered with Jesus there in a level place, they would have heard this as good news. They were among the poor, they were, they were oppressed, they were sad, they were hurting. They would hear the sermon from Jesus as good news, as something to rejoice in. In turn, Jesus says, whoa, remember that's "woe," W-O-A-H, to the opposite of these folks, the rich, the full, the laughing, the beloved. It's a warning for those who think that everything's going their way, that it might not always be that way. Or at the very least, it's a warning not to let your feeling of comfort keep you from seeing and helping your neighbors in need. Jesus will further emphasize this theme throughout the gospel. Now, while the crowd gathered with Jesus would have heard these words as good news, the community to which Luke writes some two generations later would likely have been more of a mix of rich and poor, happy and sad, loved and reviled folks. It's this distinction, I think, that's so powerful for us as the church today. You can see the upside-down, inside-out reality of, of God's kingdom taking shape here. As who is blessed and who should be on alert have been flipped on their head. Now it's the poor who have God's care and the rich that need to watch out and pay attention. Another thing I want us to think about and to take note of is we have a tendency in our world and culture today To see these categories of rich and poor, blessed and cursed, or woed as fixed realities. The poor will always be poor, the sad will always be sad, the blessed will always be blessed. In these blessings and woes, Jesus is telling them that these groups are much closer to each other than you might think. To be prepared, all of you, for your world to be turned upside down and twisted inside out. If you're laughing now, at some point, you'll likely weep. It's really a warning that bad things can happen to anyone, and to not see oneself as superior to a neighbor who is simply down on their luck. I think this is particularly true when it comes to poverty and wealth. A recent study shows that a majority of Americans, close to 60%, will experience poverty at some point in their lives. Another survey showed that most Americans wouldn't be able to handle a $500 emergency without taking on further debt. In my first call as a resident pastor uh, at a large church in Indianapolis where we saw the football game, my fellow residents and I were responsible for handling the community assistance requests that the church received, Uh, simple acts of helping neighbors be able to pay for a utility bill or, or handle the rent, check, uh, rent bill that month, something Mary Hall does for us faithfully every day here. I learned a lot from the folks who called in and came in seeking assistance. As they shared their stories with me, I learned that these folks were hardworking, responsible citizens who, for the most part, had a string of bad luck and emergencies that contributed to their circumstance. As one of my colleagues said in our reflection together, many of us are really just one emergency, one medical bill, an accident, or a layoff away from poverty. Friends, I think it's through this lens that we might hear Jesus' blessing of the poor and woe to the rich as a warning that fortunes can change, and to be mindful and on alert But I think there really is a bigger point Jesus is getting at in the sermon here. To put it simply, he's trying to instill a sense of empathy with his disciples and with the crowd surrounding them. To see, to hear, to love our neighbors, especially those who are hurting. Especially those struggling with poverty, hunger, sadness, or simply feeling left out of society. So, you know, I realized recently that I haven't quoted Fred Rogers in a few weeks, and I have a quota to meet. So I want to share a quote from Fred that I think really enlightens this this understanding of what Jesus is trying to do and instill empathy with this crowd. He once said in an interview that we live in a world in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say it's not my child, not my community, Not my world, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider those people my heroes. As Jesus levels with the crowd, coming down to them on a level place, but also speaking to them in a level way, saying it to them straight, he calls for us to level with one another. To look at issues in our community and our world not from a 30,000-foot view removed from the realities of individuals, but down on the ground, understanding what our neighbors are going through. to hear each other, to be active and engage with what one another are going through, to, see, to seek to see and hear and understand each other's reality. I know I told you one football story, but would you let me tell two? Maybe you'll let me get away with it. One of my favorite coaches ever is a guy named Pat Narduzzi. He has a great name for a football coach, I think. He's currently the coach at the University of Pittsburgh, but I know him better when he was the defensive coordinator for for my Michigan State Spartans. He ran an awesome defense with uh, heavy blitzes and Uh, Corners on islands and single-man coverage, Uh, he he was just wonderful in how he led a defense. But there's something I liked about him even more. For the first three quarters of the game, he would coach and run the defense from the press box, high above the stadium, so he could see everything play out on the field. Which formations were working, what plays the offense was getting through, He would do that for the first three quarters, and that's a pretty common thing for coordinators to do, I believe. Those of you who have played football, tell me if I'm wrong afterwards, gently, I hope. But at the fourth quarter, he would always come down to the field. He said he had to be there on the level with the players, to see them eye to eye, to hear what they're thinking, what they're struggling with, what they need to be there for them in that final push of the game love that about this coach. And really, when you think about it, that's, that's what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Plain. He comes down from the mountain with his disciples, as he calls them, and he comes down to, with them on a level place to address the crowd of hungry, thirsty, hurting, sad folks, seeking for healing, seeking for just a sense of God's love. But unlike the coach that that I I had fun talking about, Jesus doesn't wait till the end of the game. He does this at the very beginning. This is the very first teaching of Jesus in Luke's gospel. It's a reminder that Jesus comes to us where we are, as we are, to speak levelly, to, to tell it to us straight. And what does he tell us? That when we feel sad, when we're hurting, when we're poor, When we're struggling, when it seems like the deck is stacked against us, God is there with us. On the flip side, when it seems like everything's going well for us, it's a warning or at least a watch out to keep an eye on our neighbors who are struggling. To level with one another as well. Friends, may we seek to do this. May we seek to love, see, hear, and understand one another from a level place eye to eye, heart to heart with all of our neighbors, that we might emulate God's love for the world. Amen.